John chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning, I'm, and, and this is, these are great verses, so I'm going to read them for you, come along with me here. Jesus says in John 15, beginning in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear, may bear more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In John chapter 15, if you didn't notice when we were going through this, the word abide is repeated 10 times actually and seven times in the, ones, in the verse, eight verses that we read. And what Jesus is describing in these verses is what a believer's relationship with him is like, what our relationship with our Lord is like. And Jesus defines that relationship with him as an abiding relationship. Abiding relationship. That's how Jesus looks at our relationship with him. You know, it's interesting, the word abide is also translated several ways. Uh, it means to remain, or to dwell, or to continue, or to tarry, or to endure. And the word abide also is similar to the word abode. They have the same um, root meaning. It means home which is where we live, which is it's where we dwell. And so Jesus defines a believer's relationship with him, a disciple's relationship with him, they're synonymous there, as one where he lives in us and we live in him. We abide together. He is our home. And that is shown in our love and obedience towards him. Um, we love to be about our Father's business. We love to obey the Son. We love Him. And it's shown by hearing what He says and following Him. And this is who God dwells with. This is what Jesus is getting at. Uh, this is who God dwells with. This is who God abides in. The one who loves the Son. Those who abide in the Son, God loves. God dwells in them. And if you flip back to chapter 14 with me in your Bible, this is what Jesus is driving at with his disciples in the last hours as Jesus is in the upper room. He is about to be crucified. He's being betrayed by Judas. He's describing this abiding relationship that he has with, with his disciples. Even though he's leaving, he's saying, I have an abiding relationship with you. Have it with me. They're in this upper room, and Judas has left to betray Jesus, and Jesus is now speaking to the 11, not the 12, the 11 who remained. Jesus left. He did not, uh, Jesus left. Judas left. He did not abide. And Jesus begins to comfort these disciples with promises as he is about to depart. 
A prominent promise given in John 14 is that he would send them the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the helper, who would be with them forever. In verse 16, it says, John 14, 16. And then in verse 17, he says that the Holy Spirit will, is, will be with them, he's with them, but he will indwell them. That word is abide. He will abide in them. So you have the Holy Spirit abiding in the life of a believer. That's what the Jesus promised his disciples, and that's what he promises us, that the Holy Spirit abides. He makes his home in the life of the believer. For how long? Forever. What a beautiful promise that we have in Christ Jesus. And then if you just jump down to verse 23 in chapter 14, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see that? There's that word, home again. That word home is the word abode, abide. Jesus says, for those who love the Son, those who keep his word, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit will dwell within them forever. What a promise. And that's really what a true believer is. If you want to define your relationship with God, it's that God lives in me. The triune creator of the universe lives in me by grace through faith in Jesus. Amen. And so in John 15, Jesus uses some imagery to help his disciples to understand further that relationship of this, this abiding relationship between them and Jesus Christ. Now, there are other pictures in the, in the, in the Bible, in the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit uses to, to draw a connection between God and his people. If you know that he's used the picture of a cornerstone in a building, a cornerstone in a building, and how those relate with one another, and they're dependent upon one another, so to speak, or how we're dependent on the cornerstone. And then the shepherd and his sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and he talks about his sheep. And so there's that relationship. And then there's always the bridegroom and the bride. There's the bridegroom and the bride, and that relationship, a a dependent relationship. And now here in John 15, the vine and the branches. And that's what we're picking up in verse 1. And Jesus, in the first few verses, as he's giving us this picture, he tells us who's who in this analogy he's giving. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And so in this picture, Jesus is painting this picture of abiding with God, and he's using the picture of a vineyard. And he says, I am a true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser, the person who attends to the vineyard. And Jesus uses this picture, and it really shouldn't be hard for us who live in Walla Walla because there's vineyards all over the place. Uh, And so Jesus, in verse 2, then goes on and says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so we see the true vine Jesus, and we see the vine dresser, the Father, and then we see branches. And those are the uh, three major ones, but there's two types of branches. There's two kinds of mini vines that are attached to the main branch, the true vine. Those bearing fruit and those that don't. 
That's the distinguishing factor here. The branch that doesn't bear fruit is a false believer. A false believer. And I say false believer because the one that bears no fruit there has an appearance that they're attached to the vine. You see that? They're attached to the vine, but they're not bearing any fruit. And this is the picture that Jesus is giving. And, and the, the thing that distinguishes the false believer from the true believer is, is fruit. One has fruit, the other doesn't. And the false believer does not bear fruit, meaning that they do not keep his word, they do not abide, they do not love the Son, they don't ask God according to his will, God doesn't answer him, God is not glorified, they are not proven to be true disciples. That's just reading straight through the eight verses there in John. So that's distinguishing there, but you see, it isn't apparent at first, that's the thing. It's not, it's not apparent it isn't distinguishable from the other vines until fruit-bearing season comes. You see, the context here in John 15 is that Judas was this non-fruit-bearing branch. He had just left the room. He was with Christ, and yet he did not abide in Christ. And he was eventually cut off. And this is the context of all this. Jesus was going to be crucified the next morning, Judas left that evening. He was, he was just leaving the room. He left the room and Jesus begins to talk to him in John 14. He leaves to go get troops to go betray Jesus. And in the end, Judas was taken away by the vine dresser, so to speak. But you see, there's other kinds of branches. There's the true believer. That's the other kind of branch. The true disciple. And what distinguishes a true disciple from a false disciple is that when fruit-bearing season comes, there's fruit. Jesus said in Matthew uh, 7, through, uh, 7, 15 through 20, speaking of false and true prophets, he was just saying, you, you will know a tree by its fruit. And so what comes out in a person's life, the character, the fruit, uh, what they do according to um, the righteousness of God, all these things, it, it, it's shown plainly whether they are Christ-like or they're not, whether they're attached to the vine or not. But that takes time to figure out. That takes time in a season for things to happen. Actually, it's so much so that Jesus says that we aren't even going to know very much between the, um, between the true wheat and the tares until the end of the age when the angels come and they do the harvest and they separate the wheat from the chaff and you have the true... Uh, believers and the false believers, the sheep and the goats. Psalm 1 is a beautiful picture for us in, in, in this distinction. It's short, so let me read it for you. Psalm 1. If you want to go there, just kind of usually go right to the middle of your Bible and a little bit left, and Psalm is there. But Psalm 1 it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorn, uh, scorners, but his delight is is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that, are, that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, the branch that does not abide, does not bear fruit, its end will perish. And this is Psalm 1. The branch that does abide, his roots are planted by the water. It's established in the Lord, in his word, and seeking God's counsel day and night, meditating upon him and his precepts and what he would have for us. You see, our life is in him. Father, what would you have? And the son gives us his very life and we grow and to the point where his fruit begins to come out in our lives, the fruit of righteousness in its season. You see, those who love Jesus, we, we make our home in him. We don't stand and sit and walk with evil. But our meditation, our counsel, our home is with the Lord. You see, those who love him, they make their home in him, they abide in him, and his life flows in and through and out of us, and it shows. And because we do bear fruit, John 15, 3 uh, says here that we also get pruned by God. So our life will bear even more fruit. I don't necessarily always enjoy the pruning, but it's necessary to bear more fruit in the life of a believer. If you look at the vineyards out right now, I mean, you can see this cycle throughout the valley, but right now they're pretty barren. They're probably get, starting to get some green on them. I, didn't, I was wanting to go check them out, but I didn't get around to it. But they're all pruned back right now. There's a main vine and they're stretched out there and there's just a, a pruning that's happened. They look pretty barren. But at harvest time, all those clusters of grapes filled up all of that. It was just full. All these little branches attached to the vine and so many clusters of grapes, you couldn't quite tell what was doing what. But the vine dresser knew. And he came through at harvest and he saw which branches were bearing fruit and which weren't. And he took note, no doubt, and, and he took the grapes off the vine, collected that harvest, and he knew which ones were the real deal and which, which weren't. And right about now, you know, they're all pruned out there, but they're going to start to burst forth because they've been pruned back for another harvest to come. And that's what our lives are like being believers with the Lord. There's seasons where of, of great just fruit coming forward, and then the Lord allows trials into our lives. He allows testings. James 1 tells us to rejoice. You know, we don't rejoice in the fact that we get cancer or difficulties come into our lives. We, we rejoice in what God is going to do in and through those things, and that he's going to reveal to us who, where we truly are with him. Think about Abraham. Think about him being tested in Genesis 22 when he was told to take his son, his only son Isaac, and take him to a mountain which God would show him. He would sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And I don't know if any trial greater than that. But you see, Hebrews tells us that Abraham, Abraham went ahead and did that because he, he obeyed, because he reckoned in his heart that God would have to resurrect Isaac from the dead. He trusted God's word over what was going on in his life and the circumstances. He trusted God's promise, you see. And God obviously withheld his hand. He didn't 
make Abraham go through with that. But it's times in testing like that that are difficult, even right now in our culture, that, that, we re- are, that reveal where we are with the Lord, where we stand. That pruning comes to all of us. But the purpose of it in our lives, if we allow the discipline to come into our lives from the Lord, is that it will, prove it, it will produce a harvest of righteousness even more, and even in difficult circumstances. And so... That's the difference between a believer and a non-believer is that we get pruned, the others get cut off. You see, those other branches were there doing nothing, but they were exposed at harvest time. And so it is with those who do not abide, who do not love the Son. They'll be removed eventually by the Lord, but not so with us. But us, you know, but we who love the Son, and for the remaining disciples, by the way, in that room that night, the 11 who remained, as Jesus was going to be betrayed shortly, Jesus says to them in verse 3 and 4, and to us, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. You see, Judas was not clean, but he's telling his disciples, you're clean, You're clean. Now stay put. Abide. (laughs) Stay in me. Don't move. Don't do what Judas was doing. And he explains why, continue in verse four here. As As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. Pretty self-explanatory. Branches don't produce fruit lying on the ground attached to nothing. They, they wither and they die, but when they're attached to the source of life, they produce what they're supposed to produce. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're the branches, I'm the vine, you remain in me and you'll prever- produce much fruit. If you don't, you won't. And this brings up a great question. Can I stop abiding? Can I stop abiding? Apparently, the answer is yes. And Jesus tells them that they, can't, that they can't bear fruit unless they abide. And so Jesus says, abide. He gives them a command, remain, abide. He gives them a choice. That's interesting. And Jesus goes on to, in verse 6, And says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and are burned. Jesus is talking about hell there. And so the question is, if one stops abiding and they bear no fruit, did they lose their salvation or were they never saved to begin with? If you just skip down to verse 8, if you just move ahead, I always recommend to do that the Lord gives us the answer. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, a true disciple is one who produces spiritual fruit. A false disciple is one who doesn't. The fact that they, well, that we are His is proven by our fruit. And it's shown in our love for Jesus that we continually keep his word. 
There's another side to that. But before we get there, the parables of the soil, they make this very point. There are three soils that produce no fruit. They all have the appearance of being crops. They all have the appearance of being, you know, something that was going to happen. But the difference, the difference between that and the fourth type of soil, which did pr- produce fruit, was the fruit. One remained and abide. The first three left or didn't continue for various circumstances, for various reasons. But the last kind remained, and it produced a harvest. And by the way, a varying degree of harvest, not all the same. That's pretty scary. And so Jesus gives his disciples a command there. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot produce fruit unless it is connected, right? Neither can you unless you abide in me. And so there's that tension in Scripture we find. We see that tension, the responsibility of man, abide in me. And yet the sovereignty of God we find out, which is the one who calls you to abide, is the one who causes you to abide and makes you abide and does the whole work. And it's this, this tension in Scripture. God sovereignly saves those who trust in His Son, and it is those who abide and who persevere and overcome. Nevertheless, God calls them to abide. He commands them to abide. He commands us to abide. Jude wrote about this. Uh, the last book right before Revelation, Jude, in his letter, it, it gives us this tension. It's only one chapter, but it's powerful. I'll read the verses for you. Verse 21. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that leads to eternal life. And so there's this command to keep yourself in the love of God. Abide. That's what Jude is saying there. Continue to abide. He's just speaking to the church saying, abide, much as I'm sharing with you this morning from the Lord Jesus. Abide. Stay put. Then a few verses later, verse 24 and 25, Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, and I'm going to read the rest because it's awesome, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. So we see that the Lord calls us to abide, but we also see that the Lord who calls us causes us to abide. He keeps us. You see, we're in one another. While we love and obey Jesus, we also fully rest in his sovereign hand upon us. Don't we, church? Amen? As Paul says in Philippians 1.6, we know this one. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He has started it, is going to finish it. Amen. And so the Lord tells his disciples, continue on here in John, in John, 5, in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And so there are blessings for those who stay, who those who are in Christ. There's tremendous blessings. 
But the curse is there for those who do not abide in Christ, who do not love the Son. They remain in, well, they, they get sent to hell. That's what's going on there. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so the blessings there for those who believe, the curse for those who don't, but the blessings for those who are, you're going to bear much fruit. And then verse 7, he says, If you abide in me, here's another promise for us who abide my, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And Jesus is repeating his promise from the chapter before. Of those who abide, just ask, and I will answer. If my word is flowing in you, if we're in this, having this relationship back and forth where you are, you are constantly seeking me, ask according to that, and I will do it for you. What an amazing promise. The nature of our abiding relationship with the Lord is that we love the Son. And we know that we love the Son by keeping His word, but it is to those that Jesus says, ask. And so right now, do you love Jesus? Are you keeping His word? Do you follow Him? Ask according to His will. And Jesus says, I will do it for you. Jesus, just as Jesus said in the previous chapter, you see, those who abide in Christ are blessed. And we know this isn't licensed to ask for tons of crazy weird stuff because James says that, you know, don't, don't ask amiss. Ask according to the will of God. That's what prayer is about. We've already gone over that. But you see, the, those who abide are, are blessed people. We bear much fruit. And answered prayer is an amazing promise that God has given us that we can come to the Lord and bear our hearts to him and cry out and ask. He hears us and he will answer according to God's will, which is the context of answered prayer. He answers according to his will. Those are the kinds of prayers that Jesus will answer because when we ask, verse eight happens. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, when we're abiding in Jesus, and his life is in us, just like Jesus was about the Father's will, so we are, and we ask according to his will, and the Lord answers us. And then fruit is produced from these answered prayers, from the character, from answers prayer, like the Lord, develop in me patience and love and kindness and joy and all these types of things and, get, and, and save the lost and Lord, your will be done. All these types of prayers that we pray according to his will, it produces this fruit. And Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified. That's you, that's the true disciple, the true believer, abiding believer, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the proof. The proof is in the abiding. You see, the fruit's purpose is that the Father be glorified. That's what Jesus is always about. And that's what the Holy Spirit's all about. To testify of the Son who glorifies the Father. Who loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father, and those who love the Son are loved by the Father, and the Son reveals the will of the Father to us through his word. And Jesus answers it, and God is glorified. That's beautiful. You know, if you have a frustrating prayer life this morning, just to encourage you to, 
to turn off everything else that's going on and open up the precious word of God and begin to read and, and just begin to ask, Lord, show me your will. And the Lord's given us his Holy Spirit. We've already talked about that. And one of the promises of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week is that he would teach us all things. I know that was specifically for the apostles as well as he gave them special revelation, but for us as well as believers in that he teaches us concerning the thing about God. He's the spirit of truth. He reveals the truth about God to us. And so you can open up your word and say, Lord, teach me. And he'll teach you. And he's put other brothers and sisters and teachers around you to help you grow in that knowledge of him. Not just about him, but of him. So that we would grow in our love for him and one another. And that's when prayer gets exciting when we ask according to his will. And Christ-likeness is formed in us. The fruit of righteousness starts to blow up in our lives. And Jesus says at the end of verse 8, the fruit so proves that we're his disciples, that we're not Judas's, but we are those who abide because he loves us, we love the Son. And that relationship will go on into eternity. So church, the message for this morning is stay put. Abide in Jesus this week through everything that's going on. Let his life flow through you. Be attached to him. Ask. Be connected with the, the, the other parts of the body of Christ. Don't isolate. Connect to your Lord. Abide in him. And we find out that is actually him who keeps us and enjoy that relationship. And may God just pour out his blessings on you that the world around you would see his love and his joy and his character overflow in your life this week. And I'm praying that um, through it all, that the Father would receive much glory from us as we are his children. And so let's close it up with a word of prayer for one another. Lord God, we come before you, our good and heavenly Father who knows how to tend to his vineyard. And Father, we admit in our lives, Lord, we have areas that need to be pruned. And we ask for you by your Holy Spirit to bring those up in our lives, God, that you would, by your Spirit, allow a discomfort, a dissatisfaction, an inability to go forward without allowing you to remove these things in our lives. And we desire to confess them before you and before one another and to move forward into fruitfulness, God, that we would no longer be stale in our walk with you. God, don't let us to even have a hint of that false branch in us, God. Let us be full on for you, attached to you, loving and adoring you in every moment. And Lord, we trust for your provision in all things. We know the pagans and the Gentiles go after what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear and where we're going to live and all that kind of stuff, Matthew says. But not so for you. You have a caring touch for us. You care and are concerned about everything in us. And we just need to trust you in that, in these times. So Lord, we, we abide. And we thank you that you abide in us. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray to the glory of the Father. Amen.